I don't think that my sense of humor has changed at all. I was born with this, for better or for worse. Writer, director, producer, Ivan Reitman. everyone and welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and we're doing something a little bit different uh, as a bonus episode. Um, after the passing of Ivan Reitman uh, this past week, Amy and I just wanted to get together and use it as a chance to kind of talk about his career and his effect on film. I think a lot of us this week are going back and realizing just how prolific Ivan Reitman is. And for me, Amy, I don't know how it feels for you, but like this is someone who defined what I thought was funny. I don't even know if when I was a kid, I knew the name Ivan Reitman. I just loved all these movies. And as I got older, I realized they were all done by the same guy. That is true. I feel like growing up, comedy and Reitman were so synonymous just in the giant footprint that he had in the in the world of comedy films that it was hard to really parse the difference for me growing up. I mean, to me, like to me, comedy as a kid is walking through like the comedy section of a video rental store, seeing all of these boxes and knowing now as an adult that two thirds of them were produced, touched graced by, had the presence of, probably buddies buddies with, knew the people in the film, something in the orbit of Ivan Reitman. That was just the tone of comedy as I was coming up. So I love hearing that from you because I feel like Ivan Reitman is, I think of him as the director that brought us together since the very first episode we ever did a podcast on together, hanging out on my old show was Ghostbusters. You're right. And Ghostbusters to me, if people ask me, like, what is your favorite movie? I think they expect me to have a highfalutin answer, but my answer is always Ghostbusters. It is the movie that has affected me the most. It's the movie that I wanted to be in. I wanted to dress like a Ghostbuster before anyone was dressing like Ghostbusters, before they had those costumes. I had every book you could read about it. I, that was my, and still is, my favorite film. Like, and... And when you look back on his career, just in case you're not familiar with Ivan Reitman, I, I think we should just like list off the movies that he has been involved in. Meatballs, classic camp kid movie with Bill Murray, Stripes, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, Army film, brilliant, Ghostbusters, Legal Eagles, Twins, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, Dave uh, a classic Kevin Klein Sigourney Weaver film that I also love so, so much. Junior, which is the inspiration for the How Did This Get Made poster, the original one. Uh, Father's Day, Six Days and Seven Nights. Um, and then also, he also has produced some of the biggest movies, like from Space Jam to Private Parts. Um, he produced that movie, The Late Shift, about uh, Jay Leno and uh, David Letterman, and that whole kind of battle there. Uh, produced Casual Sex. Um, these movies that were so big. I mean, he brought Todd Phillips into the fold by producing Road Trip. 
you know, there are so many films and great <laughs> filmmakers who champion. He started from, a, a generation's twisted sexual awakening by producing heavy metal. You know, that crazy oh animated film from 1981. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. He transcends everything. I mean, we've talked a lot on the show before about like Harold Ramis, especially when we did our episode in, you know, Groundhog's Day. And Harold Ramis has said, you know, there are three generations of comedy, you know, like Ivan and I are the grandfathers. Uh, Judd Apatow is the dad and Michael Sarah and Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill are the current generation and that that is the lineage of the modern comedy. But I'll say when I look at like his whole life story, the arc of his entire biography, I see a guy who's not just, you know, a grandfather. He is a descendant. I mean, as an artist, this is a guy who's born in the 1940s in Czechoslovakia to parents who survived World War II. His mom survived Auschwitz. His dad escaped a concentration camp and became a resistance fighter. He winds up getting smuggled to Canada because like his dad owns this gigantic vinegar factory, like the biggest vinegar factory in Czechoslovakia. And so when the communists start to take over after the war, they're taking capitalists like his dad, putting, you know, threatening to put them back in prison, which his dad had already escaped a concentration camp. So when he's four years old, his family escapes Czechoslovakia. They drug him with sleeping pills and they Whoa. stash him in a coal barge. The coal barge goes to Vienna and then finally he gets to Toronto. This is where he goes up. But that lineage, that's the kind of lineage that makes me think of the earlier generation of comedy directors right ahead of him. People like Billy Wilder, Ernest Lubitsch, the people who escaped Germany and Eastern Europe who escaped like World War II right before it happened and came here and wound up to me like founding the studio comedy. So I feel like that line goes like Wilder, then Reitman, then Apatow, then Sarah and Rogan and Hill. I think in a way what Ivan Reitman really helped do was tell studios, don't worry about the stars. We will make it really funny and it will be huge for you. And I think this is something that you can probably see as his biggest effect because a movie like Ghostbusters definitely had stars from Saturday Night Live, but they weren't like the biggest stars, right? They were big stars. I mean, obviously, Meatballs and Stripes had made Bill Murray famous, but that movie became a juggernaut, $300 million. And I think you see him get behind people time and time again that may not be household names. People like even like Shia LaBeouf and producing Disturbia. Like that movie blows up Shia LaBeouf. I think you talk about uh, Todd Phillips, you know, obviously Road Trip kind of launches his career after Frat House, but then Todd Phillips even takes that with Hangover and puts all these people that you may not know in the front and center of it, you know? And then I think that Judd Apatow has taken that and done that, you know, whether it's super bad. And I think that Seth Rogen has continued to do that. Like, let's just know that the script will be good and we're going to pack it with funny people and you will go and you will love it. Um, And that's something that I feel like that energy is kind of missing because people don't want to mess up. And so what a lot of the times you get in comedies are a lot of really, really famous people. And the hope is, okay, we'll get the famous people, you know, to bring the audience in instead of we'll get the comedy to keep the audience in. (laughs) That's true. And yet he also knew when to kind of lay that gauntlet down. I mean, isn't the famous story about the pitch for twins that he just like walked up to a chalkboard and wrote Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito, twins, 
And then they were like, here is $90 million. Please what make us all the money. This, what was this era in pitching where everyone was <laughs> running up to like a whiteboard? We heard that with James Cameron. Like he wrote alien and then put an S and then put a dollar sign through it. Uh, but like, I do think that there are those things. And obviously, yeah. I think even until his death, he was working on triplets, which is going to be a sequel to twins with at certain points, Eddie Murphy. I think Josh Gad was attached to it. Like a bunch of different Tracy stuff. Morgan was the last person who they were supposed to start doing it with this year. I just think that, you know, and again, not to say that you're right, like he also made huge movies with giant stars as well. Yeah. But, uh, but he point, wasn't afraid. No, to your point, though, he was one of those people who I think kind of created comedy families, mm-hmm. which is, I think, like it's almost the way that I think of comedy as being structured now. You have like a director who has their people that they love, and the, those people kind of orbit and grow up and spin off and do their own things. Like he was a guy who I think, as a producer, had an eye for who would be the talent to form a good family with. I mean, part of why he gets brought into making to producing Animal House is because he knew the Animal House guys because he had taken them to New York to do like a National Lampoon live show in New York City. And in that cast, he had you know a lot of the future SNL members already together doing that. He had John Belushi. And then when these guys go to Saturday Night Live, you know, he and Harold Ramis who are kind of left behind are like, let's do a movie. Let's use some of these skits. Let's build. But he was he was kind of just there. Ground zero doing really cool stuff in Canada. Well, I mean, and also I think the movie that you can really draw a lot of connections to in this like new wave of comedy is this movie Cannibal Girls, right? Which is, uh, I think, his first film that he directed, which is kind of this uh, independent grindhouse comedy horror that was... Uh, directed by Ivan Reitman, screenplay by Danny Goldberg, who goes on to be his producer over at Montecito, uh, but stars like Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin. Um, yeah, it's and- Eugene Levy's first starring role as a guy getting attacked by cannibal girls in a movie that he did for $5,000 the year before Texas Chainsaw Massacre comes out. Year before Texas Chainsaw Massacre is doing cannibal girls. I mean, you can guess what the movie's about and you can guess what probably happens to Eugene Levy, but you can't guess that Eugene Levy is in that film. If you hear that title, that is crazy. It also has kind of a cool twist ending. I don't know if I'd say watch Cannibal Girls, right. two thumbs up, but the end, there's brains in a movie. It's not a throwaway movie. He actually is bringing some intelligence to it. And that's six years before he makes Meatballs. But there's something really interesting in this that I think I've always associated Ivan Reitman as coming up in that Second City crew. And I think you're right. Like, he was on the periphery of that crew. You know, he wasn't a performer. And that's really interesting, too, because he does have this connection, and I think that's why people trust him. And he gets these performances. I mean, these are, you know, really interesting performances out of Bill Murray. I think that the Bill Murray that we all know and love, obviously, he has his voice. Saturday Night Live, he was brilliant on. But, you know, Meatball Stripes... And Ghostbusters, like those back to back, uh, that is, you know, 79, 81 and 84, I think really like he creates the movie star version of Bill Murray. Like this is where Bill Murray and Chevy Chase separate. At a certain point, I think Chevy Chase was like, uh, obviously Chevy Chase has like a, a little bit of a career alongside here. But this is, I think that those three movies put him on par Uh, with Chevy Chase in that time period, which I think people were not expecting. They do. I mean, even Meatballs, you know, like the smallest of the three, when that film comes out, it is massive. I mean, it it becomes like the highest grossing Canadian film in Canada, and it becomes the highest grossing Canadian film in America to ever be made at that point. I mean, it is like setting records and being like, ta-da, here we are. Like, pay attention to us. And just to go back to what you're saying about Twins, 
I think he really had a good handle on how to use what was naturally interesting about an actor and get them to shine. Because this is the era, or he launches the era of Schwarzenegger as a comedian. Twins and Kindergarten Cop are great, like, Schwarzenegger comedy performances. Like, they are very, very funny. Like, you know, and that is showing a whole different side of this guy that up until then was just doing, like, Raw Deal, Commando, Running Man, Red Heat, all great films. But, like, he was able to expose that, like, funny, softer side. I think you see people continually doing that, like now with Jason Statham and things like that. And and yes, Stallone also tried to do it, but I don't think he was ever in as capable hands as Ivan Reitman. And I was actually listening to Howard Stern the other day talk about Ivan Reitman and talk about his connection to Ivan because Ivan produced uh, private parts. And Ivan was a huge fan of Howard Stern and Howard was trying to get this movie going and he couldn't do it. And it was all these different scripts. And Ivan's like, I'm going to figure out what this movie is. And he got a screenwriter and he got Howard to sit down and they started working on this script and really developing something that I think becomes this really, if you've not seen Private Parts, it's a great film. And I think you have to also credit Betty Thomas for bringing that out. But I also think that what Ivan Reitman was so good at was understanding, like, I want to bring Betty Thomas here to direct Howard, I want to supervise Howard. I want to make him be everything that he is, but also take away the things that might be a little bit more hard-edged. I think he creates this personality for Howard Stern that most people hated. And then when you see that movie, you feel like you're you're rooting for him. And that I think at that time, the Howard Stern that you know now is very different than the Howard Stern that was when Private Parts came out. For him to, to do that, to change the perception of people, and they, again... Schwarzenegger. And then you do it with Stern and you launch people like, again, Shia LaBeouf out into this world. That's a great producer. And I think that when you work in comedy, you have to be able to do everything a little bit. Like you have to be able to produce, direct, and know how to speak to actors. And he clearly was able to do it. And Howard Stern was talking about how after the first day or two of shooting, Ivan Reitman called him up and was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? This, you suck in this movie. Like, calm down be yourself, say your lines, and let everyone else take care of you. Let your supporting players make you look good. And he said it was the best kind of advice that he could get, which was to just relax into it. And it creates this performance that makes you feel like, oh, Howard Stern has been acting his entire life. Like it, it you know, he only acted really, I mean, there's a couple of cameos and things, but, you know, not very much. And that's a very good performance, I think. It really is. And, you know, that's startling. Like, I I kind of wish he had been a person who had talked a little bit more about his own, like, style and craft. Because I get the impression with Ivan Reitman, he liked to be like, I don't know. I'm a guy who likes what I like. I make what I make. You know, he did. I don't think he, like, publicly intellectualized what he did very much or the way that he worked with people. He actually has a great quote um, that I like. Um, a good actor is someone who knows how to take the part and make it real and make it honest and be effective in it. If it's in a funny movie, and as long as they are cast in an appropriate way, humor will come from it. And I think there is something about that, which is like, you support your person. You create something where they can succeed. Like, with Schwarzenegger, he played up something in Twins that is very Schwarzenegger. And then in Kindergarten Cop, he was kind of parodying 
the action movie Schwarzenegger, you know, but he found ways to bring out something of these characters. I really like what you're talking about here because I feel like we have this mental image of producers as like, I swag around and this is what I do. And I tell you to do this, right? That kind of like bossy mm-hmm. model of producer, which I think is wrong, A, in, in terms of like what a good producer should be doing and be self-destructive. Maybe it encourages like other producers to act like jerks when you really don't have to. Like, you're right. A good producer figures out what's special and then frames it. Yeah, In the image of my head, I'm thinking of like a, a ring setting off a diamond. You figure out what you need. You figure out how to like ground someone and you, then you let them go. I mean, that he could go from producing, say, a comedy that I really love. I Love You Man with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. Yeah. A movie that I just found like tender and goofy and playful and childish and with, with a touch of heart. And I think some honesty in it too, that he could do something to me, so delightful. A movie that I kind of feel like transitions us into the comedy that we've kind of been heading in now, kind of like kindler, gentler, sweeter comedy that's about something, maybe, maybe too much, but like, I love that movie deeply, that he could produce that, but also at the start of his career, let Cronenberg, who he's working with early on in Canada, you know, when the cool stuff happening in horror is happening in Canada, when Cronenberg is doing like shivers and doing rabid, that he could produce that and be like, Cronenberg, go nuts. Give everybody crazy rabies that kills everybody. Show me organs. Show me anything you want. You know, like he's a, he's adaptable and he's supportive in those roles. I mean, yeah. I I respect that so much because like th- these careers don't happen if you don't have a producer like that in your corner. And I think it's interesting because while he created these iconic comedies early on, he really did segue out of directing And really just did a lot more supervising, a lot more of watching and getting inspired by people. And that's something that I feel like we don't celebrate enough. And I don't think we give enough like flowers to people who are a great producer because the director, the writer, the stars get a lot of attention. But the producers are doing so much behind the scenes to make these people score. And I think that's what we're talking about is as a director, he knew how to do it. I think he also knew when to pull back. He didn't try to write everything. He knew how to partner up a writer and a director and a star and put them in a package. Like, And that's that talent is so incredibly rare. Phil Lord, uh, part of Lord Miller, who have done so many amazing things, uh, kind of recounted this story about Ivan Reitman on Twitter. I'll read it to you because I thought it was really great says, Ivan Reitman was really good to me and Chris Miller. He sought us out and encouraged us when we made our first movie. He saw an early cut of Spider-Verse and he said, half of this is the best movie I've ever seen and the other half is bad. And he spent days giving us helpful notes. Uh, He was rigorous and curious and generous with his advice. He cared about comedy, but also about story and character and making a movie good. Lucky to know a fellow traveler who proved you can have it all. And I think that idea, and and I've seen so many stories like that, where it was like he really rolled up his sleeves and empowered people and didn't want to take the credit. In a time where I think everyone is rallying to be like, I'm on stage too. I've seen producers that have just produced a movie get on stage to be like, give me some of these flowers too. It's like, I think he was very happy and content to be behind the scenes and, and oddly fitting that he got to wear, you know, Spengler's costume for the the scene in Ghostbusters Afterlife, like, um, and kind of 
finished the franchise in in like an homage. It, you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife in many ways is an homage to what we love about Ghostbusters and the fact that he was able to literally step into Harold Ramis' shoes. And I, I see a lot of similarities between Harold Ramis and Ivan. Um, but this idea that like, what a beautiful cap to his career and to work with his son, who I think we also have to just call out, like he also got behind his son and produced, you know, movies like Up in the Air. And he was somebody who will be remembered for the effect that he made on comedy. When you see the movies that he made were so important to me, Ghostbusters primarily being like the number one film. But like even a movie like Dave, I feel like resonates with me. I haven't seen Dave probably in two decades, but I still remember it so clearly. Like I just remember like loving that movie and Kevin Klein was so great. I think he just allowed people to have the confidence in themselves to try things differently. And the best producers I've ever worked with believe in their actors to give them rope to try things differently and not just cast them in the same exact thing. And I think that that's really, to me, what I think is his lasting legacy. And hopefully the people that he's worked with will take that on and forward it. And we keep on getting these great movies and these people that he has kind of touched. And more than that, I know we started off this whole episode about like a quote, like, well, I was born with my sense of humor. But here's somebody who's career is incredibly diverse. I look at Mel Brooks and what Mel Brooks did with like the elephant man and, you know, and then space balls and, you know, like he mixed and matched. But I think here, Ivan Reitman is somebody who is like, Oh, I'm going to make Beethoven. And that's a kid's movie. And and, and I'm going to start with meatballs, which is kind of like a coming of age, but kids movie. And he kind of went all over the map, you know, from romantic comedies, like legal Eagles, I have not seen Legal Eagles since I was a kid, but I remember that being like my parents wanted to see that movie as Robert Redford and it felt adult. But like you look at his body of work, it's incredibly, incredibly different. And he was trying to do things. And even up until like draft day in 2014, you know, he just knew how to make a very capable, strong film. And that's not saying that every film he made was perfect, but I think there were great things in every one of the movies he made. And I was laughing because... Variety released this article just the other day when he passed and it was like, uh, you know, uh, Ray Parker Jr. remembers uh, Ivan Reitman. And I was like, wow, that's a an interesting poll. Like, could they not get anybody else who worked with Ivan Reitman? Like, and even Ray Parker Jr. was like, he believed in the Ghostbusters song. Everyone's like, this is not a hit. This song sucks. And he's like, it is a hit. I'm going to direct the music video. Like, I'm going to, like, I'm supporting you. And um, I just love that idea that it goes from, you know, the Ghostbusters song, which is now, like, an iconic song. My kids know the Ghostbusters theme. They don't know what Ghostbusters is, um, but they know that song. And I just think it just goes to show you that there's a lot to be said for the... uh, you know, the puppeteer or the or the the Wizard of Oz kind of a character, the person behind the curtain who may not get all the credit. And while he gets a lot of credit for what he did direct, I think that his legacy uh, from the mid 80s until really 2020 in this last Ghostbusters film is is uh, is actually even more impressive than the handful of giant giant, 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 giant blockbusters because every movie he made was a giant, giant hit. 
um, you know, until I would say what, uh, 98. <laughs> yeah, that is a run, man. That is a, yeah. that is a 20 year run. That is substantial. Amazing. Um, yeah. And I would also like to thank the internet because I've been kind of holding my breath, dreading the fan art that I felt like was coming of like Ivan Reitman arm in arm with Slimer, like heading into the afterlife. So I'd like to thank the internet for not making the terrible fan art that they usually do when somebody. Oh, I don't want to see like Kobe Bryant really... high fiving uh, Ivan Reitman as Harold Ramis talks to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like, it's like, I hate those. <laughs> Oh, God, you just gave me a thought of like Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman as ghosts, like looking at proton packs being like, no, don't shoot. I'm sorry, that is a terrible image, but I do feel like that's the kind of joke he would have made. <laughs> well, to that point, he had a quote here in 2013 that I thought was really interesting. He said, the world has become more abrasive, possibly because of social media, but people have said that about us. Sexuality seems to have lessened. There's more squeamishness about nudity and sex, but there's also a lot more scatological interest today than there ever was 30 years ago. It's a weird shift. Like, and I do think it's interesting to be someone working in comedy from the 70s till now to be like, well, what has changed? Like, what is funny now? And to see us get a little bit more prude in a way too. But I also have to say that for the most part, his work stands up. Like, I think if you watched any of these movies, there's no like real groaners in there. You know, it's not like, oh boy. I mean, there might be movies that you don't like, but as far as like politically correct, there's not one that you have to kind of go like, okay, well, you have to understand it was that, it was this time when he was making this. Like, he actually made movies that can still be watched and enjoyed in a theater today. And I think that that's really, uh, you know, one of the one of the, the the lasting legacies. If you can do that for comedy and not make comedy disposable, like that is something that really, again, should be championed. So I just wanted to, to have this conversation with you and just chat a little bit about him. And, and uh, what would you say is your favorite Ivan Reitman movie, Amy? In the spirit of the love, I think, honestly, I would probably say it is Ghostbusters or maybe Ghostbusters 2, but probably Ghostbusters. <laughs> Wait, Ghostbusters 2? I like oh, Ghostbusters we too. What are you going to have say? a big conversation <laughs> after this. Oh my God. All right. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I know I've already talked about uh, what I love, but I want to talk about something that I wish I would have seen, which is in the early 80s, Tom Mankiewicz wrote a script called Batman that Reitman was attached to direct, and it was going to be Bill Murray as Batman, David Niven as Alfred Pennyworth, William Holden as Commissioner Gordon, and David Bowie as the Joker. Um, and <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. That sounds to me amazing. Can you um, imagine? I mean, I mean, of course, David Bowie as the Joker gets like the da 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 da, the flashing lights. How insane would that be? But William Holden, an actor that we talked about a lot in season one of Unspooled, yeah, I would have loved to see his Commissioner James Gordon. Remember, he played that clip of him like kind of drunk on a boat waxing yes. philosophically about manhood and his own problems. I, 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 I think his machismo would have been fantastic. As James I mean, Gordon. I want to see David Bowie as the Riddler. I mean, that to me is just oh, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so even though he has passed away at a young age of seventy-five, I do believe. If you're going to pass away in your sleep like that is a beautiful way to go, uh, you know, and I will say that his legacy uh, continues on and uh, go back this week and watch one of the films. I'm going to go back and watch Dave. That's what I've made my I've made my mind up. Or maybe I should go and watch Legal Eagles, which I've never seen. I don't know. I haven't seen Twins since it came out. I'm kind of curious. I've been on a Danny DeVito kick again lately. So. All right. 
I'm, I mean, Danny DeVito. I wonder if Danny DeVito learned his wonderful producing skills from watching a bit of Reitman. You know that I hmm. think Danny DeVito is low-key one of my favorite producers. Yeah. Oh, he's done amazing stuff. He was behind uh, Broken Lizard. Super Troopers. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rescue me. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Uh, anyway, Amy, uh, a pleasure to chat with you about this legend, an icon in the film uh, business. And uh, if you're not familiar, get on it. And uh, we will see you for our regularly scheduled episode later this week. Yeah.